April 27th, coming to you from the Northern Indiana studios, it's me, Joel, and with me, as always, is... From the Southern studio, hey, it's Jason, what's going on? We are the Board Game Mechanics. All right, so let's go ahead and jump into the news. Um, So for the first bit that I have is... Manaforge arrived and has been played a couple times, and a review for that will be coming shortly. And I'll be talking about that a little more later. So that's all I'm going to do for that right now. What's it rank? Uh, what's Manaforge rank in your top 100 yet? Uh, no, it's it's pretty simple. I, it's like an entry level dice rolling engine builder game. I mean, it's fun, but it's yeah, it's not something that I'd want to play all the time. We can save it for later because I see it again there. Yeah. Um, second for that I wanted to talk about is we have another review copy coming for a game called Pixel Glory Light and Shadow. Uh, I've actually played regular Pixel Glory a few times, so I think this is a standalone expansion, so you can mix it together with the original or play it by itself. Uh, it's pixel artwork, and it's a simple little like dungeon crawl, fight the baddie game. So I'm pretty excited to check that one out and get a review up. And I guess in not board game mechanics related news, uh, the Dinosaur Island Kickstarter closed out, it looks like. Oh, like, yeah. 1.7 million, something like that. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, it was crazy. I got the expansion and the Kickstarter upgrade tokens. This is my wife being cool. Sometimes she's cool. This week she's being really cool. Um <laughs> I had the survey come. She bought it for me for my birthday. And then she was like, you know what? It's stupid for me to try and like hide it from you or whatever. So right. I'm just going to like tell you that I got it for you. And so she did that and she sent me the survey to fill out to finalize everything. And she was like, uh, I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't think I'm going to get the expansion. I could add it on, but I'm not gonna, I'll just wait for it. And she's like, whatever. You're going to buy it anyway. Just add it. And I was like, you are the coolest. So anyway. <laughs> yeah, that that is pretty awesome. <laughs> well, she's like, you get the extras that way and stuff. And I, I think you probably get all the extras anyway, but I'm assured to get them now, I would say. So right, I don't yeah. know. The only bummer on it is I've got to wait till November now to get my copy instead of July. But And it's November on Kickstarter time, which means like probably next February, if I had to guess. I don't know. They were... They seem like they have everything running pretty smoothly on that. Like I, I just saw a post from the designer, and they're already like planning to get it on the boat here in like a week. Wow, the yeah, it, base game, the, the base game, yeah, it's crazy. That's awesome. That's really awesome, actually. <laughs> yeah. So I just have one more bit that I wanted to mention. Um, there's a game on Kickstarter now called Realm Master, and it's by designer Joel Harper. Um, it's it's like, I don't know, not even halfway funded maybe, but it's a three to six player family game. It has some area control, some take that, and it said it's like a light filler game. So it seemed interesting. The artwork is really beautiful, and I think when this episode drops, there'll be about 18 or 19 days left. So if you can go check it out and see if it's on there for you and maybe throw some support behind it and get this another great game brought out to the masses. 
And you're going to hear about this one later, but Poser is a game that we talked to the creator of this episode. Uh, it's another one that you might want to check out. It's one that I think if you haven't um, bought any of the social deduction type games yet, it's certainly a good entry. Um, and it's something that, I don't know, I think the price point's right on it. It seems like it's a lot of fun. If you're a child of the 80s and you want to have some nostalgia feels, it's uh, it's something maybe to check out. Yeah, I agree. That interview will be really exciting, so stay tuned. So, Jason, our next thing we're going to talk about here, oh, boy. This is like, I think we're going to get, I don't know, maybe not hate mail. So somebody out there is going to say, I can't believe you missed this game. But 2018, <laughs> we're, we're entering May here, okay? So if you're listening to this episode, we've got this weekend and then it's May, you know? And can you name four games that you've liked this game this year or four games that have come out this year that you've been like, oh, that's a, something I really want to play or have played? I can name one. And that's Raj's of the Ganges. <laughs> right. And actually, yeah. I got an incredible deal on that. On the uh, So here's a pro tip for you guys. This is a little aside. A pro tip. This is only 51 weeks early. This isn't one week late. This is 51 weeks early, okay, for next year. <laughs> on the Monday before tabletop day, Amazon runs a pretty sweet sale. So I got Raj's of the Ganges, which you were like, I don't know. I had a inkling to pre-order it at my local shop. Um, and you were like, yeah, hey, it's fine. But then they had it 50% off on the Amazon. So I was like, ah, it's too pretty not to own. So I, you know what? I think it's game of the year so far. If we gave out awards right now, I don't know what else you'd give it to. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm trying to search what is even going on right now because, yeah, it's been pretty quiet. Feudum and Rising Sun, I think, are the other two entries that I would say are, oh, wow, that's cool. But are they really 2018 games? I think so. I think Feudum is for sure. I mean, I don't think it had a full release until this year. We'll look it for up. For sure. Well, like, the, the other thing, too, is the release of board games is so convoluted. Like, some games get released in, like, Europe or Asia, and then, like, two years later, they're in the United States. So, I don't know. It's like, what's the voting criteria? I don't know. <laughs> it does say that Rising Sun was 2018, which, that's surprising. I actually thought that was last year, but maybe because it was on Kickstarter all last year. Um. Yeah, no, it was all over Kickstarter. Well, and then, I don't know. Um, Fairy Tale is definitely 2018 release, full release. I uh, consider release. I like that one quite a bit. Fairy too. Tile? Tale. Not Tale. Grim Forest. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that one. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, it's not bad. I mean, for what it is, it's certainly good. See, I played that at Origins last year. So, again, it seems like it's a 2017 game to me. So, <laughs> Right. Well, I mean, like... Yeah, and it's only going to get worse because uh, here's an official announcement. Um, if you guys want to send us like previews or, or review copies, we're open for that now. Okay, so go ahead, just do that. <laughs> yep, I'm with you. Seconded. <laughs> uh, so anyway, no, I, I mean we'll be more than happy to look at your games for you. So um, whatever, we've been doing some of that already, uh, and I don't think we've had a game yet that's not been something cool about it. You know, so yep. Anyway. True. Awesome. Uh, anything else from 2018, Jason, that you're like, oh, man. I'm even looking at the Gen Con releases and, like, I don't know. I know there's always a couple of really big surprises, but I'm not even sure what I'm hyped about. Museum? That looks pretty cool. I'm pumped about the dice game of Zolkin. Tukian or something like that. I don't even know how to say it, but it's from one of the designers of Zolkin. So it's like a minute. It's not really a dice version, but... 
it's a more dice focused game than most of the games that they've done before. So I'm pretty pumped about that one. And Escape Plan by Vital Asserta. Well, the thing that I think got this conversation started is you and I were talking about how little publishers could put stuff out right now and it would get so much love and hype because it'd be the only thing coming out right now. And instead, for whatever reason, people think they need to release it, these cons. And there's so much competition to get attention there. So I don't know. I think, you know, Rajas of the Ganges is a really cool looking game. And from the way you describe it, it plays really well and it's a nice game. But I mean, like, I don't even know if it would get hype or be really like, oh, wow, look at this game. If they released it, you know, Essen or something. So R&R is kind of smart, you know, I mean, to do what they did. I guarantee by the end of the year, even by Gen Con, no one's going to even remember that game anymore, which is sad. Yeah, it's just crazy how we do things in this industry. I don't know. It's just, can you imagine if cars were this way? Like, <laughs> everyone's going to release their car. I guess they kind of do that, but like they call them model years. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. But like, but like, can you imagine if like the distribution of cars was this way? Like, you first off, you buy your car and it's missing like key components. So you're like, hey, I've got to contact Toyota because my car's missing a transmission. And then like, oh, sorry, our bad. We'll send you a transmission right away. And then like that kind of stuff happens. Like you're missing player boards and stuff in games. And then, right. Yeah. And then can you imagine too, if you're like, I really want a Corolla, but they've been out of print since 2014 because <laughs> Z-Man Automotive put that car out. So I don't know if it'll ever get a, a reissue. I don't know. So it's just weird. Yeah, that is true. That is This is a different industry that no no other business functions like that. That's true. I never thought about that. <laughs> well, and I mean, I think it's getting better as they become more like legit. I mean, it used to be way worse. I mean... I remember one time I was trying to find Tales of the Arabian Nights, which is kind of embarrassing to admit that that was like my grail game for a while. <laughs> but I was trying to find it for a while. And then I found it at some little like scientific, uh, elements supply store in North Carolina. And I was like, Oh my gosh, they have it at MSRP. That's so exciting. And I bought it. And then I had the only copy that I knew of in Indiana for like a year. So it was hard to find for a year. And then it wasn't around for another year. So it's just. It's just one of those weird things of it's still that way to a very large degree too. And right. I don't know, like you mentioned Rogers of the Ganges, like that game by all accounts is really good, but there's so much stuff coming out that you're exactly right. I don't know that that game will ever get a reprint. Like if it would be successful enough to ever get a reprint and I, it's just going to disappear. You know, I mean, it's just what happens. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just unbelievable. It, like I was actually watching man versus meeple today. They were doing some show and they were talking about classic games, and one of the games they mentioned was Rococo. And the same thing happened where that game came out and nobody talked about it because it came out before a big con. And now, like you mentioned that game, and most people are like, what's Rococo? I've never even heard of it. It's just stuff like that where great games get you know, just lost in the shuffle because there's 90,000 other games that come out all the time. It's crazy. Are, are we just going to skim over the fact that they called Rococo a classic game? The game's what, like four years old? I don't know, something like that. <laughs> it came out in 2014, yeah. I mean, but really though, th- think about it. If it's not a game from this year, it pretty much yeah. is a classic game because no one talks about it. So, yeah. I mean, I love that classic fits. game, Blood Blood Rage. That's such a good classic <laughs> game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. But I mean, it's it's kind of true though. I mean, we do have this stupid call to the new thing happening in the, in the industry. And it's like, I don't know. I think part of it's kind of like, 
we're gamers, so our hobby is we love games, but we almost make our collections into a game too. So it's like, who can have the biggest, baddest collection with the most current cool toys in it? You know what I mean? Right, and then yeah. like, there's almost a thing of speculation too, where like you blind buy certain games because you're just like, I really hope this one ends up being good, and then I'll have the copy that no, that no one else has because I bought it early enough that you know it wasn't in that horrible two year reprint period. So right, whatever. Yeah, it's it's crazy for sure. Oh, absolutely. Well, anyway, that's enough uh, lunatic banter. I don't think that's even zany about how weird 2018's been with gaming so far. When one of the hottest releases was Dose, a, a <laughs> sequel to Uno. I did see that. I mean, I was like, why is everybody posting about this Dose game? What is this? It's sold out everywhere, too. Like, it's <laughs> nuts. That is nuts. Oh, man. Oh, whatever. Maybe it's amazing. I don't know. <laughs> I doubt it. Uh, well, anyway, I uh, I say well anyway anyway a lot, and it's my way of not cursing or something. I don't know. So it's also a great transition. Jason, you had the saddest sad face when I was posting pictures to you of my little board gaming time on Saturday. Cause you're like, I'm all alone. <laughs> I only have my friend of me to play games yeah. with, but yeah, you got to no play some way, stuff yeah. on, on Sunday then, right? I did. Yes. I've the first game I played was one we just mentioned in the news and that was Mana Forge. And that game, I mean, while I just said that those things earlier, it is a fun game. It's just really simple. So it's too simple for me, but the people that I played with loved it. My buddy Brandon and his wife Josie, they loved it. Well, I don't know if Josie did, but Brandon did. And you just roll some dice. You're using the dice to, as like resources to buy cards. And you're, these cards are going to help you to have more resources in the future to buy more cards or to get points. So you're either buying cards to put in your workshop to use to buy more cards, or you're buying cards to just put them in your little sideboard to get points. And you're going to do that over nine rounds, and then whoever has the most points wins. I, I'm i going to need you to repeat all that because I wasn't paying any attention. Um, because the name Mana Forge to me is so fascinating. <laughs> it makes me think of like an old Civil War boat made with thick wooden sides that couldn't be sunk by the by the man of war. I don't know. Like <laughs> Mana Forge is just a fun name. Like It really does sound like the name of like a old-timey weapon or something. I don't know. Yeah, I, I go agree. And quick. Get the mana forge. <laughs> Actually, the, the thing that I like best about this game, the rule book. The rule book, yeah, is amazing. It's the best rule book that I think I've ever read since I've been playing board games. Really? Yeah, it's amazing. It has every card in there spelled out. It has pictures of setup. It has what exactly you're supposed to do for setup. It has everything written really clearly in order. It shows you how to score. It shows you. Like all the sides of the dice, it it's amazing. We need to do an episode just on good and bad rule books. But your the things you just named are things that are seriously in the best rule books. Um, there seems like there's two ways people do rule books, good and bad. That's one way to look at it. But I mean, like there are definitely rule books where you're like, oh wow, I love how they did this. Um, 
what's the one I just played that I was like, wow, that's a really great way to do it. Um, it basically had one column that was all just rules of the game. And then the other column was like a narrative that was like a play of the game where those rules were being played out as like these people played a game. And I was like, oh, that's really kind of a cool way to do it. Um, but cool. I think the most critical thing you just mentioned that is like an absolute, you must have this in order to have a good rule book is the, um, the, the diagram of like setup, like, I oh, get yeah. so frustrated when they don't have the good diagram at the beginning. Like that's just if you have the 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 setup, the setup basically tells you the vocabulary also that you're gonna need to know. So it's like make a draw pile here and then like and then you can reference, oh, there's my draw pile, and then have, you know, these tokens which are named here, put put them here, you know. I mean, so later right, when you say like right. draw four tokens from this pile, you go, Oh, that pile that you had there for me. The the thing that drives me absolutely nuts is when like they're like referencing things that you have no idea what they are. They're like, well, of course everyone knows what the goblet of gimpish fun is. I mean, like everyone <laughs> knows that, you know, I mean, wh- what? I don't know. Right. Yeah. And everyone knows that I'm talking about the, the amazing game that follows the IP of, of Harold, the fun wizard boy and his goblin goblets <laughs> of fun. <laughs> I love that I really, game. If that the movie's really a, good too, but if that was a real game, I'm probably going to pass. It sounds like a mare trash. You never saw the Harold the Wizard Boy movies? <laughs> no, I didn't. Oh, they're really good. <laughs> it's about a boy who goes to station <laughs> station eight and five eights, and he heads there with his his most beloved Falcon, and oh, yeah, ends that up going is, to school. That is ringing a bell. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> That's yeah, a great, great series. It's <laughs> a great series. You'd love it. <laughs> yeah, I've seen a series like that. Have you? Yeah. Probably rip off. <laughs> yeah, it's not nearly as good. You're right. <laughs> so yeah, that was that was what I played over the weekend was Harold and the Great Boy of Magic's Goblet of Gobbling. It was really fun. <laughs> it's a co-op game though, so you wouldn't like it. Yeah, I'm out. Uh, no, but really, what did I play? Well, it wasn't near as exciting as that. Um, so, like, I was playing board <laughs> games with these guys, and I've been playing games with them for, like, a couple years now. And I've made them into, like, decent gamers. Like, they've played some pretty good games. And so, like, I'm like, what do you guys want to play? And they're like, why do you have, like, five copies of the same game? And it was Ticket to Ride, and I've got a bunch of different maps of it because my wife really loves that game. Right. And in my mind, like everybody like in preschool plays Ticket to Ride. Like it's something <laughs> you just you play. Like yeah. I don't know. If you're gonna play like the games I'm gonna teach you, then you've played Ticket to Ride. Like it's a prerequisite. But they never played Ticket to Ride. So I broke out Ticket to Ride. And uh, it was kind of fun to explain that game to people because it's really easy to explain, but they had a good time with it. They were like, oh, wow, this game's really rock solid. And I was like, man, that's crazy. You guys didn't have this foundational game that you've played, but you've been yeah, playing like Mombasa and like stuff like that. And I'm like, I don't know. It felt really light to them, I'm sure, but it's a good game. And the thing about it that was kind of fun is these guys are both like hyper competitive that I played with. I mean, just ugly hyper competitive they aren't all about the like social and the event part they're just about i'm gonna win and so they played the most ugly nasty game of ticket to ride i think i've ever seen where like one person would go into like santa fe and then like everyone else would immediately be like i'm getting a route into santa fe just in case i need it later and i want to block other people from santa fe well guess who needed to go to santa fe (laughs) i did i did and i was too busy like trying to conceal my cards and my routes to get into santa fe so i don't know I was going to ask you which one you played. So clearly you played uh, regular, right? Yeah. Uh, Santa Fe edition. It's all about making <laughs> a subway about- in Santa Fe. <laughs> just Santa Fe is the only city you're just driving around. <laughs> yep. 
Yep, absolutely. <laughs> no, we played the typical one, but we played with the 1910 deck. Not not the full deck. We didn't play with like big cities, but right. I will not play with those tiny little like like children's hand sized cards anymore. They just they irritate me. So we got the 1910s out, but um, we didn't play with big cities, which I think that actually helps the game quite a bit. But played the most vanilla version of Ticket to Ride you can play. And you right. know what's crazy too, Jason? There might be a person listening to this podcast. Like it's, it's entirely possible because Ticket to Ride's old enough now that hasn't played Ticket to Ride. Like that would blow my mind, but it's certainly possible. If you haven't, it's an absolute staple. It's like one of those like essential games that you have to play in your life. It's rummy with plastic trains. What more can you ask? Yeah, I mean, it's a great game. I have like three versions of it myself, as should everybody. I mean, yeah. everybody has America. Most people have Europe, and then some people have some of the crazier ones. But yeah, it's it's a good game. I I like it. I just it's a little too light for me, but yeah, it's still great. I had Marklin at one time and I traded it away, which I'm kicking myself about. Um I got a really good trade on it, I think, and I was like, I don't need like six copies of it. Um but yeah. I have Nordic Countries, which is my favorite for two players, and it's something that my wife and I'll play around Christmas time because it has like these cool hollyberry trees or trains covered in right. snow, and then it's a really tight map for two or three players, and that's a three-player max game uh, there. And the cool thing about it also is like it's Sweden, you know, because it's Nordic Countries, and my wife's family's all from Sweden, so. Uh, it's fun to hear her pretend like she can pronounce all the like city names <laughs> when she's never even heard of them, but whatever. That but is the, funny. <laughs> the actual real cool thing is there's like, there's one route that is like, I'm going to say at least eight train cars long that you can go between and it's worth a ton of points. So if you can, if you can get that 20 point, you know, connecting route between two cities, it's, it's crazy. It's kind of a game maker for you. Um, but then I've got Asian, Asia. Um, which is kind of cool because it has like a teams variant in it. I've got yeah, Europe. I have, I have Asia as well. I've got Rails and Sales, which I think I'm the only person I know who owns Rails and Sales, and it's kind of hard to find right now. Is it good? Uh yeah, it's Gamer Ticket to Ride, but it's huh. like, did we really need Gamer Ticket to Ride? I don't know. <laughs> right? Yeah, you just go play another game. <laughs> well, I mean, like it's basically Ticket to Ride, but then it has these ports in it that you can steal other people's points, kind of by putting these ports in. Not steal their points, but like piggyback on their points. Right. And then you have to like estimate how many trains you want and how many boats you want. So it kind of adds the two together. The thing I really like about it is I'm from, you know, northern Indiana. Uh, speaking of which, if you hear this and you're in northern Indiana, go to Rupal's Toy Trains tomorrow for international tabletop game day. But uh, that was a quick aside there for you. But being here in northern Indiana, one of the maps is the Great Lakes region. So it's like kind of cool to... Like have towns that I regularly go to on the map. So, I mean, like Chicago, South Bend, uh, right. places like that, you know, Kalamazoo, things that I go to like really regularly are on the map. So, um, cool. that makes it kind of good. Um, but it's, I think, I think I would definitely, if somebody wanted to trade me on Board Game Geek for what it's selling for on Amazon right now, I'd trade it pretty happily because it's like, I think new copies are listing for 250 bucks right now because it's one of those just, Hey, remember our industry and how we talked about you don't print games for three years between print runs. It's in like one of those like lags right now. So next, next pro tip, Jason, before you go into your next game is, uh, there's a game out there that gets a lot of hate. Okay. I'm going to tell you this game is not bad. It's not bad at all. And you should go pick up a copy before it goes out of print and never gets reprinted because it won't ever get reprinted. And that game is Relic Runners. You will find it for like $17 at your local game shop because no one bought any copies ever. And it's not very good the first time you play it, but like the fifth time you play it, it's pretty solid. 
Anyway, that's my that's my insider's pro tip for you guys. Yeah, I still need to play that game. So some someday. Yeah, it's the first time you play it, you aren't going to like it. I mean, you're just going to be like, "What? Uh, it's whatever." But like, <laughs> seriously, the more you learn how to like manipulate those paths and stuff, and the more you play against someone you competitively can do that, the better it gets. It's uh, it's it's the name of it's the game of royalty. It's uh, it's the queen's chess for the 21st century. So, <laughs> well, you know what? It is not. It is not Pixel Lincoln. No, and that's what I. That's what I played. I, I sold played. my copy for five bucks, and I felt really relieved to get rid of it. <laughs> yeah, you sold it to me. <laughs> I actually like the funny thing is it says it's a deck building game, but you're really it kind getting of is. you kind of are, but you're really putting all the cards that you get, which are mostly the the bad guys that you're fighting, into your score pile. So over the course of the game, I think I had a deck of like 18 cards, and you start with 10. Right. So it's sort of a deck building game, but it's also like an adventure, kind of a, like a Nintendo adventure game. So you're like, do, 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 attack, do, 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 jump. And then, you know, you get to the end of the level and you scroll backwards. I mean, it was fun. I enjoyed it. I mean, it's not something that I want to play all the time, but I'd probably play it yeah. again, at least. I, I think I played it like maybe 10 times. And that copy, I think I traded you like... Maybe you only had two plays on it. It probably should seem pretty new. Um, it does. But it has that oversized penny, and that's kind of cool, right? That is so. cool, yeah. <laughs> and the Abraham Lincoln with the Afro heads. Yeah. Yeah. That is kind of cool, too. <laughs> um, is, yeah. Well, I mean, like, it's just silly. Like, the thing that you have to mention when you talk about this game, too, is all the weapons in that game are, like, meat products. Yeah. So, like, you can get, like, a string of sausages to fight bad guys with. I mean. <laughs> the Mutton Star is pretty awesome, too. Yeah. It's yeah. it's it's a funny game. I mean, like, I think that's the best thing you could say is that it's, it's just a funny game. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I, it's not bad. It's No, I mean, it's not going to break my top 200, probably. But, I mean, I'll keep it around because I think Katie might like it. And it's fun to just play with people who aren't super into games. Like, hey, we're going to act like we're in a Nintendo game for a couple minutes and then right. jump over and fight some dudes. Yeah, it's it's fun. Well, and the other thing, too, is like I think it's as good as any of those like silly little boss monster pixel tactics like. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Penny arcade sure. type games. You know, I think it's as good as any of those. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. It's it's one that you won't see around much probably because. I don't know. The other thing too is they're supposed to be doing an actual video game of Pixel Lincoln at some point too, and I think it died. So yeah, that's sad. That's sad because that could be pretty awesome. That would be pretty awesome, I think. <laughs> yeah, it might be. So Jason, remember how I talked about how those guys played games in like the totally weird order because they yep. learned Ticket to Ride way later. The game we literally played right before that was Royals, and usually when you explain Royals, you're like, "This game's a little like Ticket to Ride because you have one of two choices that you can have <laughs> right, on your." Yeah. Like, so after they played Ticket to Ride, it was really funny because they were like, oh, so it's like the last game we played where you choose which thing you want to do on your turn. Like, yep, exactly like that. <laughs> that's a good game, though. It's, it's, uh, I don't know if I want to say it's better than Ticket to Ride, but it's different and it feels heavier too, to a degree. I mean, there's just yeah. a little more going on to it. The only thing I can't figure out on that game is like when you kick somebody out of a spot, and you put them in that little like square next to it. Why don't they just put their wooden cube back in their supply? Like I can't quite figure that part out. But because it still counts for area control, because you can still be in every city, even though you're not really controlling the city. Well, but like in the rules, it says that you don't get your bonuses unless you're actively on a monarch. So it's like I don't know. Does it still count for ma majorities? Yeah, that's what I thought. That's how I always play it. Huh. 
Because I know I'm that playing, for unless sh- I'm playing it wrong, <laughs> for sure you can't get those crests unless you're active in every city. Because there were a couple times where I was like, "Oh man, I'm going to be really close to getting this thing," and then someone would kick me out. But I totally obliterated them at this game because I remember one of the first times I played it against somebody, they totally obliterated me too because they totally ignored like the marshal and all the low guys and just went for the high guys. They got all just kings and princesses and cardinals. And and then at the end of the game, they got the 16, the 12, and the 10. Plus, they got all those influence points throughout the whole game. And right. just it's such a better way to go. And the other thing too is like, you kind of waste your cards if you keep investing in those low guys and get kicked out. Whereas if you get a king, it takes an extra intrigue card to knock somebody out. So it's kind of, I think it's a little bit more safe bet because it takes a while to get eight cards. Plus you need the two intrigue cards and that's pushing your hand limit right there. So, I mean, I don't know. That's my strategy. This game is Royals, by the way. Maybe I should give some background on this game. It's an area control game where you're drafting cards from each of the major countries, I guess, that have been around around the uh, Middle Ages. Uh, after the Middle Ages. And you're trying to influence different royal people by having enough influence cards that you can play on them. And then you put a wooden cube on them. And it's one of the Dice Tower Central games. One of the Dice Tower Central games that people didn't really talk about, honestly. I mean, I think the only, the, the three Dice Tower Central games, four Dice Tower Central games I can think of are Sheriff of Nottingham, which was everywhere for two years. Right. Uh, Onitama, which has been the, abstract game of choice for like the last year or so viral which is blowing people out of the water and people love that game a ton it's making like a lot of top 20 lists and then royals which like it's like hey uh remember me and i know that right now on on uh card house you can get a gappy of royals for like 26 bucks on clearance so it's another one that might be a good bargain proposition for people out there i know you love this game too jason I do like I like this better than Ticket to Ride because it's yeah it's a little gamery you have to do a little more thinking than Ticket to Ride because you don't have goal cards you just you have to actually make your own goals like where do I need to go where do I need to get people placed so I can get some crests I need to get to that space but you're in there so I got to get some stuff to boot you out so it's it's essentially Ticket to Ride but instead of placing trains you're putting cubes on dudes but I like it a little better I will say one of the really cool things about this game too it's small but it's really cool is if you have a tie on one of the people you've been influencing, it has those puzzle piece things where oh, yeah, you like that's break awesome. the puzzle piece in half and flip it over and it figures your points out for you, yeah, which is, is stupid, really cool. but it's cool. No, it's genius. I wish more people would do that. That's an amazing little feature. Yeah. Uh, it's one that I endorse. I think Jason endorses it too. Yes. And I, I think, I don't know, I wasn't quite sure if it was in my top 100 between plays, but I think it probably is. I don't know that it's top 50, but it's certainly top 100 on my list. It's up there for me. It's one of my. It's probably one of my go-to um, gateway games because it's just easy to teach and it, and I still have fun playing it. So I really yeah. like it. It can be a little bit mean for a gateway yeah. game, maybe. But yeah, that's I think true. You, I think that's your kind of thing with gateway games too. You're like Revolution's a great gateway game too because you like. It's almost like you have this like uh, hazing. If you want to play games with me, you got to be able to hang out with the big boys here. And I don't want to see any tears get on the sweet, sweet cardboard in front of you. So I don't know. <laughs> it's like your way of like figuring out who you can play with, I guess. Yeah. I think like it doesn't bother me as much. The meanness doesn't bother me as much in Gateway because it's not like I don't have to form this like 12 turn strategy yeah. that someone can come along and wreck me because you're kind of just playing turn by turn. So if someone screws you over, you just fix it next turn. I mean, <laughs> it's not a big deal. Can I tell you my favorite thing right now in my my own personal board gaming life that just made, you made me think of? 
is I've been playing board games with my brother and my dad at like every Thanksgiving, Easter, Christmas. And my other brother really won't play. And Luke, my son, will play sometimes. But usually it's the three of us. And we we played Scythe. And I've been like kind of trying to explain these games to my dad. And Scythe is a little heavy for him. So I kind of had to walk him through the rules almost every every time that we played it. <laughs> right. One of the times I said, you know, you still need to get these combat stars. There's two stars up here for combat. And my brother had this like like you said, 12 step plan that he was trying to pull off to get in the middle to get the factory and just whatever. And then like my dad just randomly does this like crazy stuff and it totally handicaps him and it's totally king making for me. And it's so funny because it's like the guy can't even understand the rules, but he, he king makes really badly. I guess it's a better story <laughs> if you're there, but he does it every game. I'm not even kidding. Like every game he does it. He did it with happy pigs too, kind of. Yeah, he but did. We played that one time. Yeah, absolutely. He totally did. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> that's kind of our ongoing joke is that he does it every time. So <laughs> that's kind of, I get what you're saying. Like where on those heavier games, like Scythe or whatever you are, you know, like gathering resources for this thing. And then all of a sudden somebody can jump in and like destroy you and steal all your resources. And you're like, okay, well, I guess I'm going back four turns now. And I guess yeah. in Royals, it doesn't really do that. I mean, maybe a no. little, if you're like knocked out of the King, but even then, hopefully you got some area control out of it and stuff. So right. I don't know. All right, Jason, talk about this next game because I want to hear about it. All right, so moving on from some entry level and some Nintendo, we are jumping over to my boy Vital Lacerda, and I played Kanban. And oh man, this game is deliciously crunchy. Oh, so good. Oh. You keep obsessing about this game, like even in our little like behind the scenes. Hey, what are we talking about in this episode? Um, you know how like our producer Facebook. Um, has talks with us about, you know, what we're going to talk about in the next episode. You keep talking <laughs> yeah. about like, man, this game's so good. I want to play it again. Like after you played it, you keep talking about it. So, my, so I think it's going to end up in your top 10 for sure. I'm, uh, I'm, yeah, I can see that. I'm wondering if it's going to end up your number one game on repeated plays. It could be. I just, I have to get it played more. Cause that's the thing is that I don't think people dig the theme as much. And I thought it was going to be a beast to teach, but I actually taught it in like 10 minutes. So, I think maybe now that I know how to teach it, I can get this game played a little more. So we'll see. We will see. So, okay, tell me about this game. I own it. Haven't played it yet. I mean, I bought it just because I've heard enough awesome things about it. But here's where I'm at with it. It's a Portuguese guy who made a German-styled board game about cars where the name is literally the Japanese word for billboard. Like, none of it matches. (laughs) Right, yeah. It's a little random, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so... For those of you who don't know what it is, it's a game where you're trying to design cars, upgrade cars with certain kind of car parts, use car parts to get cars off an assembly line to take them down to a test track so you can take these cars and put them in your garage for some piles of points at the end of the game. The trick is you don't really know the best way to do that. So you're trying to decide, well, do I want to get blueprints now? So I can make the car. Do I want to go get some car parts so I can try to get some blueprints later? Do I want to go over in the admin area so I can go anywhere I want? And meanwhile, while you're doing that, there's this little boss meeple that comes around and judges you on how well you're doing in each area. And if you're not doing good enough, she punishes you and makes you lose points. So not only are you playing against your opponent, you're also playing against the stupid little boss lady who's beating you down the whole time. The judgy meeple woman. Yeah. Yeah. You had such yeah. disdain for her in your voice. 
Gus, she's terrible. Like you're playing and you think you're doing a good job, and then here she comes into your area and she just smacks you around for five points. Yeah, it's it's wretched. I'm guessing she's like a deck of cards, really. Like honestly, right or something. Like no, no. How are you describing her? She's like a like anthropomorphic wooden person who like literally talks to you and is like, your car is no good. Negative five. No, <laughs> but yes, it feels like that. But really, it's just a, you're saying meeple, but it's she's pink. And then when she comes to your area, there's this little card that tells you what happens. And she like gets rid of a whole bunch of stuff on the board. She speeds up the game. She gets rid of all your parts. Yeah, it's it's nasty. She's nasty. <laughs> so what does any of this have to do with billboards? I, I don't know. I mean, I'm. I, it's just a game about making cars. I don't know. Nothing really. There's not a single billboard in the game, actually. So it's not about marketing or anything, like. Nope. It's strictly about making cars, getting them in your garage, and upgrading them. Nothing oh. about marketing. Yep. Jason, you're gonna feel slighted because I I forgot to mention this to you until just now. Um, I found a Facebook group called. Vidal Lacerda board games or something like that. And it was started by Vidal Lacerda and I joined it last week. So what? yeah, like it's a, it's, it's like Vidal Lacerda's like announcement place and people are like, Hey Vidal, how do you do this? And he's like, Oh, here's how you do that. Like, so you need to find that probably. Yeah. I, pe- I'm looking for, I'm, I'm looking for it now. <laughs> <laughs> click, 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 click. Uh, Okay, I'm going to talk now because Jason's gone. Um, <laughs> no, I found it. I found he, was talking, he was talking about Kanban, and they were like, hey, when's a reprint coming? And he was like, well, this summer. He's like, but in 2020, we're going to do a deluxe edition. And he's like, I'm really hoping Eagle Griffin Games will do it because I want Ian O'Toole to do my art for it. So, like, that might be I, coming. I hate it already. I know because you, you can't afford it with your $50 uh, well, for board games rule. Not even that. Like, I love the gallerist, and that's Ian O'Toole and Eagle Griffin. But I don't know. After seeing the old versions of the games, I get so used to looking at that that every time I see the new stuff, it just messes with my head. Yeah. I can't. I don't know. It's And the gallerist has only ever been Eagle Griffin, so it is what it is. But everything else just messes with me, and I, I don't know. I don't like it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I get what you're saying. Although, if I remember right, isn't the gallerist like a re-implementation of Rook, the game Rook? Yeah, I think so. It's just as easy and everything. Yeah, you're right. That's what I thought. <laughs> just especially a reskin. It's not really at all. Um, but Rook does bring me up to, if you didn't get a chance to watch my, I went live last night or Tuesday night, depending on when you listen to this, uh, and did my top 10 um, trick-taking games. Well, um, I'm going to do another one yet this week. So there might be two of them on our Facebook page. So go to our Facebook page and check these videos out where I'm talking about my top 10 games of certain categories. And I'm going to go ahead and make an announcement for Jason right now. Jason, guess what I'm volunteering you for? You're going to live co-stream with me to do top 10 worker placement games. So start figuring out your top 10 worker placement games. Should be easy. Oh, that's easy. I, I think probably, your, top, your top 10 yeah. is all your top 10 yeah. favorite worker placement <laughs> yeah. games. I would agree. Yeah. <laughs> so... We'll, we'll figure that out. Um, and sometime in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to do a live co-stream with him. I'm going to figure out how to do it and we will do our top 10 favorite worker placement games, but I'm doing my top 10 favorite dudes on a map games, uh, later this week. But I did my top 10 trick taking games and that was sort of inspired by, by this game I played. Um, and I've played it like obsessive compulsively since I first played it. And that game is Fox in the Forest. It is so good. 
Do you uh, do you like trick taking games at all, Jason? Uh, yeah, I was talking to Katie about this. I do, but I would just rather play euchre. I I don't know. I like trick taking games, but euchre is just my old faithful. So let me tell you something though. This is why Fox in the Forest is awesome. It doesn't feel like euchre really, but it's the same. You know, it has a robust trick taking game feel to it. Right. Um, but. You can. It only plays with two players. Like that's all the only way you play it. So I mean, I don't know. There's that many trick taking games for two players out there. So that makes it awesome in its own right. But then it has so many layers of strategy to it. It's so cool. So there's like the special powers of the different cards. How you can change the trumps mid hand. Uh, The fact that you want to win a bunch of tricks but not win all the tricks because if you do, you do badly. But if you don't win enough, you do poorly too. Or if you don't win hardly any at all, you do really great too. So it's like, I don't know. There's just so many different ways that this game plays and so many different layers to it and just different strategies. And, and I mean, I think I said this on my video. It is absolutely like the best. You could seriously store this game anywhere. It's 33 cards and that's all you need. Like the other, other little components and stuff in there are just in there. So that way they didn't, they didn't, didn't, you know, charge $6 for the game for a deck of cards. Like that's, that's really all it is. And, and then you have to keep track of your score. And that's why it has a little extra chits in there. But even then this game's like 11 bucks. So I mean, I think dollar for dollar, this might be my favorite game right now. And, and that just means, you know, for $11, it's, it's not one fifth the game of my $55 games I love. You know, it's like one half at least. Um, but it's just an awesome little trick taking game. So fun. Uh, just, just a really great game. And I've played it with a bunch of different people and everybody I played it with is like, okay, let's play again. And it's just that kind of a game. Um, I don't know. It's pretty simple, pretty simple to pick up, but it's just like got, it's got those layers that you can learn the first layer in five minutes, but then you're not going to be very good because I'm going to destroy you because I know layer two and you don't know it yet. But then as soon as you see layer two, you might be a little more competitive and, you know, so get better. So I don't know. It's, it's definitely one that if you can find it for, you know, a good price or, uh, something that works for you, I would suggest it too. It goes on my approved list for sure. Yeah, all literally all I know about this game was at Origins last year. Kim was trying to buy it, and Renegade did something. They sold the last copy, and she was, like, raging about Renegade all weekend. Like, <laughs> it was terrible. She just was so mad at them. Yeah, it's hilarious. She said she literally got into a fight to get a copy. <laughs> it was pretty close, yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. And, like, Renegade's one of my favorite companies. So, I don't know. I can't imagine, like, unless they harmed my family... <laughs> Me having a problem with Renegade. She ended up getting a copy, but it was a, a rough Saturday, I think, or Thursday or something. But yeah, she ended up getting one, so it was all good. So the trick-taking game I haven't played yet that I want to play um, that might get on the top 10 is Indulgence. I haven't played that game yet, oh, yeah. but I hear it's really yeah. good. I'm interested in that one for sure. It's got nice components and some cool like powers if you shoot the moon and stuff. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it looks really cool. And it's another one of those games that's like... 17, 18 bucks if it's in stock and in print. If it's not, then good luck. But Restoration right. Games is doing a good job with that. Um, that's probably the Restoration Games game that I would endorse over Restoration Current Kickstarter, Marble Boys and the Marble Fun. <laughs> yeah, I have no desire of playing that game. Me either. Me at either. All. Uh, like we're in the minority. We're in the slim minority. Yeah, yeah, I for think, sure. I think my dad called me up who, you know, <laughs> Doesn't do anything with board games. They're like, hey, have you seen this fireball? Fireball. Fireball boys in the fireball island. It looks like a lot of fun. 
Yeah. <laughs> I think he called me too. He was so excited. Yeah, I think he did too. He's he's like, I went down to Papa's place, found my old shiny marbles. I'm ready to play. <laughs> You're dead. Hopefully he never listens to the podcast. Yeah, right. <laughs> like my dad would listen to this. He's like, ah, my boy's on that. Something's wrong with him. I ain't listening. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. <laughs> Love you, Papa. Oh, man. <laughs> Uh, no, my dad's a good guy. He loves everything I do. He loves, like he supports me and thinks I'm great. But like, he's there's no way he's listening to this. I could definitely Donald X this episode and like in minute one be like, "Hey, daddy, I love you so much. You're my you're my good good man. I love you so much." And then like, there's no way in minute forty four he's listening still. <laughs> He listens just to hear you say your name, and then he shuts it off. I'd say, Dad, listen, there's a really important and special greeting for you at minute 45 of this podcast. <laughs> it's imperative you listen to it. It's I really I, – I put my heart on my sleeve for this one for you, Dad. And he'd be like, all right, I'll, I'll get to it. And like three weeks later, I'd be like, so what would you think? He's like, about what? Oh, my gosh. Okay, Dad, whatever. Uh, <laughs> All right. No, he would just say, he would just say, how's that going to improve my simulated farming games? Like, cause that's what he loves to do. He plays <laughs> farming true. simulation games on his iPad a lot. <laughs> he, he He's does. a retired guy. What else are you going to do? I mean, like, I, only reason why I get angry about it is I'm jealous. Like that guy's got the <laughs> life, man. He gets yeah. to like play farming simulation games in sweatpants. <laughs> like who doesn't want that life? You know? Yeah, I mean it's it's pretty awesome. Again, I I say the American dream right there. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, if anything, I'm extremely jealous, and that's <laughs> that's why it feels like it might be hatred, but it's not at all. <laughs> I'm pretty sure, like, like, I, I mean, I'm not sure my dad would have an awesome sense of humor about this. I I hope he would. If I got him in the right mood, he would. But like, I if my son had a podcast about like. Hey, what's new in the world of VR and special VR stuff? Because it's the year 2040. And then he talks about me. He's like, yeah, all my dad does is wear cargo pants and button down plaid shirts and play Kanban. What an idiot. I'd be like, yeah, well, whatever. Go to work for 40 hours a week, you loser. Well, I play Kanban. I'm going to take the Hyperloop to the South Studio and play Kanban with Jason. Yes. Oh, that's hilarious. I hope uh, it's true. <laughs> Someone someday. tag Elon Musk. Tell him there's another need for a hyperloop here in the Midwest. Yes. Oh, Jason, I was worried we weren't going to be getting silly on this episode. <laughs> no, we just saved it for right now. <laughs> I have nothing else to say. All right, moving on. Here's an interview with Alex Harity of Poser fame. And I don't mean that he's like a pretend famous person, but his game's called Poser. And he talks about it in this interview. All right, it's Joel here. And I'm with uh, Alex Harity, who is a game designer of a current Kickstarter called Poser. Uh, Alex, welcome to the show. Uh, glad to have you here. Uh, talk to us a little bit about your game. Tell us tell us the basics on it. Sure, and thanks for having me, Joel. Yeah, so Poser is a hidden identity game, and you know the big difference in it is it's it's set in the '80s. It really embraces this nostalgic 
eighties feeling, at least the way we kind of all thought of the eighties, even if we weren't around during it. Uh, and the basic gameplay is each round, every player, um, three day players, every player gets a character card. Those are set from like uh, 80s clicks. So Valley Girl, Surfer, Skater, uh, Slacker, uh, basically who'd be in the Breakfast Club in the movie. Uh, and one of you doesn't get one of those cards. Instead, you get a poser card. So everybody has the same card. Let's say we're all Valley Girls. Right. Uh, and one of you is a poser instead. Um, and basically, the, the premise is each round, you're trying to figure out who has a poser card. Um, and the poser is trying to figure out what the character is that round. Uh, and then, you know, the other basic mechanic is each round a location is turned over. So a place like the pool or the arcade uh, and a scene. So a setup that says something happens. So they're all based off of kind of 80s tropes. So, you know, something around E.T. showing up and like what happens next or you are got to ask your crush to the prom or uh Karate Dojo is uh, challenging you to a match. Sure. Uh, and you basically continue that story as a group while trying to figure out, like, who doesn't know that we're all Valley Girls? Uh, who's the poser? And the poser is trying to figure out, uh, you know, what the character is. So why I like your game, what, for, what first appealed to me about this game is I'm a fan of Spyfall, which this definitely has some feels of Spyfall to it and Chameleon. But the problem with those games is if you have people who aren't hyper-creative – are really quick to think on their feet. They can't do it. They can't think of good questions to ask. They can't think of good ways to conduct themselves. And I thought those story starters that you put on there is like a nice scaffold for people to be able to jump into a character. So that's what I really kind of liked about your your Kickstarter. Um, that's really a neat thing on it. Yeah, I mean that's great to hear because that you described me. I think I I love those type of games too. But I do think that I often blank you know when it's my turn and i don't know what to ask the person or what topic to go on uh, and it kind of kills the vibe and the idea here was like we're you know i'm setting up ridiculous hijinks each round uh it's usually a situation that everyone's kind of familiar with even whether they saw the movie it was based on or not uh and it gives people like a, a way to start ends up making people goofy who aren't normally that goofy yeah i, I like i also have this role-playing system i like to play in called fiasco and it's like basically you play out of Cohen's brothers movie and it's like craziness just ensues. But this game yeah. kinda to me, like those little paragraph starters and then the characters that we're all playing, kinda almost sets up a really light version of that too. Um so it's almost like you get people into role playing a little bit without having to do all the you know, rolling up characters and dice and things like that. So pretty neat. Um the other thing I really liked about your game too, Alex, was the colors on it. I <laughs> I grew up I was born in nineteen eighty. So I was a little kid in the 80s, and uh, man, I just I love the 80s stuff. So Dinosaur Island, when I saw that game, it hit me hard in the feels. And this game, too, like the color palette you guys chose for this is exactly what I remember the 80s being all about. So the art on this is just really beautiful. And uh, it seems like the artist that you have that did the art in this, he's, he's somewhat renowned. He's uh, a legit deal here. Yeah, actually, she, I should she, uh, I should say. So, uh, yeah, she uh, is a Japanese artist. And oddly enough, she's been around for years. So she was actually a big inspiration for the game in general. So, you know, I, I knew that I wanted to make a game in this sort of genre. Uh, I had some ideas of the mechanics. Um, and I, you know, unrelated to that, also really admired, uh, admired her work. So I uh, 
I, I wanted to kind of capture the feeling that she has in her work, which is like, yes, 80s nostalgic, but it also feels like something's a little bit off. Um, and, you know, part of that might be she's a Japanese artist that's never even been to America. She just has an idea of what the 80s was. Uh, and I think she captures it like amazingly. Uh, but something feels a little off. And, that, and that's kind of the way it is when you play this game, where, you know, this one character is off or the scenes are kind of a little weird. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I love that time period. I am also was, was a kid in the eighties. Don't remember it in a way like, you know, wasn't a high school student in the eighties. Um, but I also have this memory of it and kind of wanted to recreate how I pictured it. Uh, You know, I, I I think of Poser more as like an, the idea of the eighties rather than maybe exactly what it was like. Well, and then for those of us that were like 10 when the eighties ended, you have the '90s deck in there too that you can that you can kickstart as well. Yeah, and that's been much. Uh, most people end up buying buying that too, and it's probably from the demographic that uh, this appeals to in general. And you know, maybe you know the large group of friends that I probably tapped into once the Kickstarter started uh, that they're also you know more kids of the '90s and grew up uh, most of their years in the '90s. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then I'm really. I'm I'm happy to see you guys are off to a really nice start on this. Uh, by the time by the time you're hearing this as the audience, you'll have a few days to go check it out. Uh, the game is called Poser, and it is on Kickstarter. Uh, and I think the price points on it are around twenty dollars for the base game, and then thirty two dollars with the '90s deck, if I'm remembering right. Does that seem right? Yep, but that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. And we're a weekend right now. We're uh, somewhere around forty percent. Um, to the goal. So got a couple of things planned. So hopefully, hopefully we'll do okay. We're, we're optimistic right now. Yeah. The, the last Kickstarter that we talked to on the show here, um, the primary, which I think just, just funded and just closed, uh, today, he was, he was a little behind your pace and he ended up having a strong push. So, uh, I'm really optimistic too. I think you're going to fund, I, I think it's a cool game. I really like it. Are there any plans for this to, are you going to take this uh, Kickstarter and then maybe produce a small retail batch or maybe do something with the trade shows this summer? Uh, maybe not this summer, but at some point the Gen Cons and Origin shows do some sales there, or is this going to be a Kickstarter exclusive? I'm definitely going to be at PAX Unplugged uh, in October, I guess it's November of this year. So it kind of just times, yeah, times well. I'm from Philly um, and, you know, loved the show last year, um, a long time PAX East goer. So it was great having it nearby and, you know, would love to kind of be part of the show in that way. So, you know, assuming all goes well and the Kickstarter succeeds, then uh, I should be there as well. And, you know, hopefully we'll, you know, produce enough of these that, that you'll see them in stores afterwards. But uh, that said, you never know. So yeah. get on the Kickstarter yeah. if you're listening. <laughs> the, the only people who that should be important to are people who listen to this show like in June or July, because if you can get on the Kickstarter, do it. That's always the way to go. Uh, support, support artists, support, um, you know, innovation and cool things happening. And then, I mean, you get the extras too. So you can't complain about that usually. So um, what are some things that you do have planned or what are things that you can tell me about um, what's going to happen with your campaign here in the next few weeks? Yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, I guess a lot of the interest does come around the look, the um color palette and the art. So the artist is going to be doing some promotions and she's got a, I think she actually just started, uh, this morning. So she's got a pretty big following online. So she's going to be promoting it. Uh, I've got a few other things like this lined up to start talking to people. And then I've got, you know, 
some paid marketing with Facebook ads and, uh, and sharing a bit. Um, so hopefully keeping the momentum, this is my first Kickstarter. So, you know, it's, it's a weird experience where you have a huge, uh, first few hours where you're able to get everybody who you, you've been play testing with and talking to <laughs> and your friends who will like quickly hop on and, and back it. And then there's like a little lull and yeah. you've got to try to find a way to like keep that momentum going. So I've been preparing for a while. So hopefully it, you know, it keeps going and, uh, you know, had good, good responses so far. There hasn't been like a, you know, an empty day or anything. The, the sales have been relatively steady, fortunately. Sure. And they always seem to pick up towards the end too. Um, I, I, I'm optimistic for you, Alex. I think it's going to be a, a success. Uh, I'm, I'm baking on it because I'm going to back it myself. So uh, it looks like a neat little game. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Joel. So what made you decide to go the Kickstarter route? Um, I know that it's, it's uh, a really nice way to figure out your pre-orders and a nice way to get funding for a startup. So for you, you seem like a nice fit for it. But were there any other thoughts that you had, maybe independent publishing outside of Kickstarter or anything like that? Or was it just, no, this is a Kickstarter project? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely wanted to think about all the different routes. So I kind of I kind of did, uh, you know, go through the, the pluses and minuses, but it, it really wasn't much of a contest just because the one thing I like about Kickstarter is it sort of forces you to have all your ducks in a row for a date. And then there's this one month sort of intense period. Whereas if, you know, if you're publishing on your own, it's it's more of a prolonged sort of roll out and um obviously you have to put up more money to start i you know i'm I'm using uh you know not not cheap art so there's there's a pretty substantial fixed cost here to get started so being able to guarantee some pre-orders uh through kickstarter is like a bit of no-brainer and and i definitely wanted to do this independently so i I haven't you know approached any publishers yeah fantastic uh we just talked to Jamie Stegmeyer last night, who's kind of on the opposite end of Kickstarter. He's done the Kickstarter thing quite a bit yep. and has decided to actually leave Kickstarter. Um, but he talks a lot about the pros and cons of Kickstarter. And I think you, to me, um, people who heard my my interview with Jamie uh, would have been a week ago now when you're listening to this, uh, you know, hear me talk about why I, I really appreciate his approach with Kickstarter. And I appreciate yours as well. I think you're the ideal person to be on Kickstarter doing what you're doing. So... Um, it's a great platform for what you're you're hoping to do here, uh, and it's it looks like a really nice product that you guys have a lot of thought put into. So I, it's a well done Kickstarter, I guess is what I'm really trying to say. Um, you don't have you know Sharpie on pizza boxes that you're trying to sell. You know you've got a nice finished product. Um, there's a nice set of rules up that you can see, um, and it's it's something that you know is reasonable what you have figured out here. So. I definitely would encourage all you guys to go check out Poser uh, on Kickstarter. And if you if you can't find it on Kickstarter, go to our Facebook page, uh, the Board Game Mechanics Facebook page. We'll definitely have the link up there pinned on the top for a little bit here. So look yeah, for it there. Yeah, I mean, I, and uh, we will we have Poser.fun, the website. So that's our, um, you know, will be our site once Kickstarter ends. Right now, it just redirects to the Kickstarter. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you hit on hit on the head why you know why it, why it works for me, and you know, I. I Obviously, Jamie uh, was a great resource during all this planning for yeah. you know how you should run a Kickstarter, even if he's not doing it now. It's uh, you know he's kind of wrote the Bible uh, on a site for Absolutely. how to do this. So um, you know it was it was a really good resource, and I think you know I did things a, a, a little bit differently here in that yeah it, I, I tried to put a lot of time and thought and, and and some money into the production values of this so that it. It doesn't really look like an independent project oh, product, uh, seeing it in your hands. Um, but, you know, I'm not also uh, didn't do the route of, 
you know, approaching a lot of reviewers or people in the gaming industry because the truth is this is like a really fun party game. It's the type of game you play for an hour before you play something like really serious. It's great, you know, drinking with friends with people who don't play games all the right. time. So it has a little, little bit of a different demo than like the more hardcore strategy games that like I do love, but you know, a lot of my friends aren't as interested in maybe my wife wouldn't play. Yeah. I, I absolutely think you've got a good product here and it does look really nice. Uh, we've said that a couple times now, but I, it's, it's definitely worth looking at the art. Uh, this being an audit, auditory uh, medium, it, you can't see that art. So go check it out, though, for real. It's neat. Uh, it's It looks like uh, the Atari was trying to do more than it should. I mean, that kind of cool pixel art, I don't know, um, with a great just palette, a, a great color scheme. The palm trees I saw on uh, one of the... Uh, one of the pieces of art were just really cool looking. It's like a it's like a pixel art, a pixel art, but it's not like a cliched been done pixel art. It's a different style for sure. Um, I really like it. All right, so do you have anything else in the works other than Poser, or is this just one step at a time kind of thing? Yeah, I mean the big the big next piece is a '90s uh, pack for this. So depending on where we lend uh, land on the funding. That'll either be sort of an expansion to Poser or it could potentially be its own standalone game that you could play by itself. Um, so either way, there's going to be some work left there. Uh, I, sh- I share very little about the 90s edition uh, on the on the Kickstarter page itself. There'll be some more coming soon through the updates on the page. Uh, but the the truth is I have artists lined up, but um, it's not it's not Yokohanda. It's actually like a few different artists working on it. I tried to do something a little different uh, to try to capture like very different types of '90s uh, feel, um, and and I still have a still have a decent amount of work to do there. So that that's shipping separately from the main poser game. That's uh, going to ship uh, closer to to the end of the year for backers. So um, there's a, you know there's admittedly quite a bit of work there left just on the creative side. Yeah. Uh- how long have you been working on Poser? When did this thing first uh, become a thing? It was about the beginning of last year. Um, so I guess that's a year and three, four months now. Sure. Um, yeah, I had some ideas earlier, but that was when it actually, like the name came and the general mechanics. Uh, it is, it's changed quite a few times um, over those first six months, especially where it was something a little more like Mafia, where you had uh, you know opposing groups, uh, and th- at one time I leaned way heavily into the role playing side and decided that didn't work. And so with those, the same kind of, uh, mechanics have been there, but, uh, they've, the weight on each of them have, have, have changed quite a bit over the last year. That stuff on the cutting room floor becomes expansions though and stuff. So we'll, we'll, we'll maybe <laughs> yeah. see some of that a bit later. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah, totally. Uh, I've, I've had a couple board game designs that I've, I'm, uh, I don't know, maybe halfway through, uh, even the initial development stages, but both those games kind of came to me like a lightning strike, like three o'clock in the morning, I got to get up and start typing some stuff down. Was that kind of how this happened? Or was this a slow, you kind of talked about some changes that happened, but the initial concept, was it a gradual thing or was it like a, Oh wow, this would be cool. Yeah, it was very lightning strike ish the way you described it to get like the rough outline of this all came together really, really quickly. So I mentioned, you know, I kind of had ideas for years about like, oh, this genre I'd like to play didn't have the theme, didn't have, you know, anything unique about it. Uh, And then it was a combination of like looking at some Yoko Honda artwork and thinking like, oh, this feels like the 80s. I want to capture that feel. What was the 80s? And all of a sudden it all came together where it was this. You know, it's a click. One person is off. 
you tell a story and it, and all that sort of came together within, I don't know, an hour or something. Sure. Uh, and then for a long time, I was using prototypes and, uh, using her artwork, having never reached out to her, just <laughs> assuming that I was going to find someone who could capture a similar feel thinking like, Oh, she probably wouldn't do this. Like, she, you know, her work is, is right now it's up in times square. It's on a bunch of subways in New York. Like she's, uh, works with MTV. So I just didn't think this would be something she would do. Uh, so I, in my head, I was like, oh, let me just use this for now to capture the feel and I'll find someone else later. And then eventually just reached out there and said like, Hey, you know, is this something you want to do? And she was obviously, uh, obviously receptive to it. So, uh, so those early prototypes were using just art that I found that she did, that I didn't have the rights to. And that was a really happy day for you. I'm sure when she said, yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean that was the point where I'm like, okay, I have to do, um, I have to do this for sure. Uh, now that like it felt like a sign, um, and you know that was when I, I picked a date for the Kickstarter at that point, um, and was like, I'm going to finish, you know, all the playtesting I need. I'm going to finish everything to get ready for that. And it, I ended up doing it a week after the date I picked, but <laughs> <laughs> that's, that was that was pretty good. A few months out, or is, more than a few months out. That is great. Uh, so some questions that we ask everybody who's on the show, uh, basically some, some typical what you'd ask a gamer. Uh, who, who are you playing right now? What games are you playing? So <laughs> it's, I, I wish I could tell you that I'm playing anything but this over the last few months. But um, I mean, I'm a, I guess the, the big games I'm playing have been more like digital. So I'm a huge Switch fan. I have a long commute to my job. Yeah. I'm on that constantly. Um, it's been like a lifesaver since it came out. Um, and then one of my clients, I work at a digital product agency. Uh, one of our clients is Epic Games. So oh, uh, playing, a lot, playing a lot of Fortnite um, <laughs> just because it's kind of, I feel like I owe it to my client and it's also super fun. So, so you heard um, it here from Alex first, Fortnite's coming to Switch. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. I, that would be like the uh, perfect man. marriage there. I hope so too. Yeah, we were we've been privy to some insider info, but that one I don't know yet, and I, I wish I did. Um, but uh, so that's on the digital side, and then on the uh, on the tabletop side, it's been so much poser yeah. testing, and then you know testing every other type of hidden identity game. So obviously, like Secret Hitler and Spyfall, and. Uh, you know, right. that genre constantly with some role playing thrown in to just to um, sort of see how I can incorporate that better. So those have been big ones. Um, and then my favorite game of all time is Carcassonne. Uh, <laughs> it's not not that original, but just love it. Yeah. <laughs> do you play it mean or do you play it nice? Uh, I'm. <laughs> that, that's a good question. It starts out nice, <laughs> and then it gets, then it's yeah, then I'm awful. I think they all do. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, then I, we always we always close with a couple of just uh, I want to just kind of get your reaction on these. So uh, just something to think about here is is cereal soup. No, no, <laughs> I, I don't know. I might take the other side of that one. <laughs> no, no, it, it's not. Well, <laughs> well, then what's the what soup? Something floating in liquid? It, well, a suspension of food in a liquid. Yeah, I think this might be a whole other interview we need to do. I don't know. Yeah. How do you feel about pineapple on pizza? Uh, it's a travesty. Okay, I, I like you after <laughs> all. 
<laughs> if you were a mad scientist, what scientific experiment would you run if money and ethics weren't an issue? What would be the Kickstarter you would do if you didn't have to care about money or ethics? Oh, man. It's, I, I guess I, I clone my bulldog in a... Oh, that's awesome. I have a bunch of her running around. And, um, and we can back that. So we, we can kickstart a clone of your bulldog. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Although, you know, I hear about... The, I, I guess some celebrities have actually cloned their animals. And, and whenever I hear that, I think it's just a terrible idea. But that, that it's the fact that my mind went straight there makes me think that I would do it too if I was <laughs> some celebrity. Yeah, I'm not going to say I wouldn't either. Probably yeah. do it too. I'm going to be honest. I, yeah, you know what? I guess if I was a mad scientist, I would just try to get her to be around forever. Let's work on some life-altering thing. <laughs> not me, not my kid, my bulldog. <laughs> the first thought. <laughs> I sound like a terrible person here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so uh, let's go ahead and close out with uh, tell me a little bit more about the Kickstarter. Give us a wrap up. Yeah, great. So uh hope you guys all check out Kick- uh, Poser on Kickstarter. So it's uh, we're in week. So I don't know when is this uh, going. This will be live the tw- the 27th. So I think you'll have about a week to get to it, guys. Excellent. So about a week left. Uh, if you like Hidden Identity games, we're looking for a good game for a party. Uh, it's the type of game you play for you know an hour uh, at the beginning of the night, get people loose, get people talking. It's great with a beer in your hand. Uh, and if you miss the 80s, then it's a really great reminder, or you at least think you would have missed the 80s if you were around for it. Um, then this is, a, this is a great way to kind of get in touch with that and Remember things that you're seeing in Stranger Things on TV or yeah. uh, any of the other kind of like retro 80s shows that have been around lately. Yeah. Uh, go check it out. Poser. Uh, really neat artwork. Really neat color palette. Uh, do please check it out. Uh, thanks, Alex, again for your time. And uh, have, a good, have a good afternoon. Thanks, Joel. Yeah, that game, it certainly doesn't seem bad, Jason. It seems like something that I would absolutely play. And I think, I think, uh, if he's close to backing, I will definitely back it. Uh, I think I will probably back it. I just, I don't know. I, I'm looking at it a little more. It does overlap a lot with some other games I own. That'd be the only reason why I'd hesitate. But I would suggest it for anybody who doesn't have games that are that secret, secret identity type guessing game. For sure. Um, he was a really nice guy to talk to. Really nice guy in the interviews. Um, I felt really bad about the Yokohama thing that I didn't know Yokohama is a uh, female, a woman. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But but I'll, I'm going to outdo that story with this one. I was listening to NPR tonight, and they were talking to the to the actor who plays Cece on, on uh, New Girl. And she's mm-hmm. from India. Like, she's Indian. And the lady on NPR goes, so your character is Native American then, right? And I thought, oh, man. <laughs> she thought she couldn't say Indian because it wasn't politically correct. But, like, that's what her character is. It's Indian. So I felt like, right, yeah. I, felt like I was, like, really mildly misinformed compared to that. So, yeah, 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 I mean, like, it's NPR, too. Like, I'm guessing at least, like, one and a half or two times as many people listen to NPR as our podcast. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah, how embarrassing for her. Yeah, yeah. I actually do think that game sounds kind of interesting. I I like the the that where you're not trying to guess where you are, but you're trying to guess who you are. That's a cool kind of twist because I think it's going to be harder to, exp- to figure out who someone is than where you are. So just asking the questions based on the scenario for that will be kind of interesting. And again, love you, Pop Pop. You're my favorite old man to play games with. Um, but like when I play Spyfall with my dad and family. Like my dad has 
two go-to questions. Like, he's like, do you have a gun? That's his first question he always asks. <laughs> so if you're like on the International Space Station and you have a gun, like, it's like, uh, no. <laughs> like, and so, and then the other thing too is my dad's so bad at these games that you never know he's the spy unless he starts uncontrollably laughing. Like, he can't help but laugh when he's the spy. Like, he just gets all red in the face and just laughs like so hard. But his questions are, do you have a gun? And, what do you think about these floors? Have they been vacuumed lately? And like, he always loves to ask that question when we're at the beach. Like, that's his favorite that, thing to ask. That's hilarious. So, like, for a guy like so him, this is a perfect game because it's like, hey, yeah. here's who you are. Here's what just happened. Now pretend like something next is going to happen instead of having to come up with questions, which I have a hard time with questions sometimes too. So, right, yeah, yeah, that's hilarious. I want to play that game with your dad so bad. <laughs> like it kind of, uh, it kind of sucks. Like everyone likes me. They're like, you're pretty cool, but like, can we get some dad time? Like <laughs> seriously, everybody loves my dad. <laughs> He's a good oh, time. I mean, he really yeah. is. But my he favorite is, thing yeah. about him is that when, when we can get him started laughing, he can't stop. Like he gets so <laughs> red in the face and just like out of breath from laughing so hard for like 10 minutes. It's my favorite thing. <laughs> That's hilarious. And then you can't help but laugh, too, when he's laughing like that. So anyway. Uh, well, hey, thanks for listening, guys. I think we need a passphrase, Jason. What's it going to be? Is it going to be Joel's dad? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Joel's my, dad. My dad's going to get dozens of friend requests from people who listen to this episode. Oh, uh, That's hilarious. We actually talked about him, I think, more than we did board games. Uh, he's gonna, I'm going to get an angry phone call from him on Saturday. <laughs> He's like, you know, I listen to every minute, every second of every podcast you do. Why are you talking so much mad trash about me on that episode? And he would say mad trash, too. He'd be like, yeah, I got my that... snapback on. You're talking mad trash about me. Yeah. All of those things, I'm sure your dad would say. Oh. Yeah, anyway. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, that's it for me, Jason. I really don't know what the secret phrase should be. <laughs> Mike, Richard, you can pick it. Whatever you say it is, is what it will be. Yep. <laughs> Richard Picorni is our fast phrase. <laughs> hey, but you know what? For those of you who made it to hour 17 or whatever we're in right now, you guys get to hear the announcement that if you are on our Facebook page, we do have a Discord there now. So I think we're remarkably quick to respond to messages on there. And by that, I mean, within like eight hours, we talk to people. So if you want to connect <laughs> right, with us there yeah. and like, I don't know, maybe we'll do some voice stuff there eventually. And you guys can hang out and just talk to us. So anyway, that's a announcement. Yep. That's a good announcement. I like it. Everybody have a great international tabletop day. And I've been Joel. And I'm Jason. See you next week. Oh my gosh, I just had the worst thought. In like 20 years from now, I'll be listening to these old podcasts and like mourning my dad, who's like probably dead by now. So I this makes me want to go call my dad. I think I got to end this show and call my dad. <laughs> yeah. Make sure he's doing all right. Yeah. <laughs>